are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning. When your pastor calls you after 9 o'clock at night, because I got the phone call a little bit before Chris did, and uh, you just you see his name on the screen, you know that uh, this is probably not good news. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not bad news for you all this morning, but it's a delight to be here. And if I know anything about Pastor Rick, there will be a story that will come out of this whole experience uh, in the L.A. airport. Well, I'm told that this is a really, really intelligent crowd, so I'm going to do a little audience participation this morning. I want to talk to you about uh, really what I think is, is the most dynamic duo in the history of the world. But there's been a lot of dynamic duos. So I'm going to give you the first half of a dynamic duo, and I'm going to ask you to just shout out the second half. Everybody with me? All right, here we go. Batman and... Green eggs and Dr. Seuss fans. I know we're going to be in good shape here. Peanut butter and glad nobody said bananas or honey because I think that's really, really, really weird. Romeo and excellent. How about Fred Astaire and you know, good Nazarenes should not know that. I'm a little concerned about you all. Well, let's go to the Bible. Let's see how you do with the Bible. Adam and David and Jonah and everybody always says that. We're going to come back to that a a, a little bit later. Well, I I used to like this segment on Good Morning America that they did on the weekends. I think they did it on Saturdays, and it was called Your Week in Three Words. And they had these little video segments. I don't know if you ever saw it, but people would send them in and there were little, little video clips, just homemade video clips about their week in three words. And I got to thinking about that, and, and I started sitting down on Saturdays and thinking about my week and thinking about what, what would be the three words that would describe my week. You could do that with me today if, if you wanted to. But, but then I went a step further, and I began to think about what about, what about my life in two or three words. That's kind of a heavy question to, to, to put to you this morning, but, but what would people say about your life? What, what are the two or three words that would be ascribed to you or attributed to you this morning? I want to take you to Scripture, Gospel of John, chapter 1. I think they're going to put it up on the screen for us. I'm hoping they're going to put it up on the screen for us. Here we go. Can you guys read this out loud with me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness... 
We have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This morning I want to talk to you about what I think is the greatest dynamic duo. And it is that dynamic duo of grace and truth. As God in the flesh, Jesus walked into a world that thought they had truth all figured out. And they had no clue about what grace was all about. And Jesus comes along and demonstrates both. So here's the premise of the message this morning. I believe our world is desperate for people to be full of both grace and truth. And I'm convinced that like any great duo, it takes both. One doesn't work without the other. You see, if there is no truth, there's no need for grace. But if there is truth, we need lots and lots of grace. I, uh, I received a phone call a few years ago when I was pastoring at First Church of the Nazarene in Houston, Texas. This phone call came after I'd been listening to the radio for several weeks, and I'd been hearing about this charity golf tournament. Now, this was an unusual golf tournament. This was a golf tournament that was scheduled to be played with just a five iron. Now, if you've ever played any golf, you know that that golf is a difficult enough game without just giving you one club to play with. But this was a five-iron golf club, a five-iron golf club tournament, and and it was being advertised, and it was an expensive golf tournament. $1,000 was the entry fee for this golf tournament, scheduled to be played at Cinco Ranch. Well, I thought when I would listen to the advertisements, you know, that'd be kind of fun. Well, I get a phone call from a friend of mine who's the senior vice president for a large chain of car dealerships in Texas. And my friend Jim says, Pastor, uh, would you like to play in this golf tournament at Cinco Ranch? It's kind of a weird golf tournament. It's just a five iron tournament. I said, well, Jim, I've been listening to to those advertisements, but but that's a thousand dollar entry fee. He said, I know. He said, the good news is our dealership is going to pay for you to play because you're taking our our owner's spot. He can't be there that day. Well, I love golf and and I love free, so I said, <laughs> count me in. So we show up that day and and I, I it started with a, a breakfast and then they had golf and then they had lunch and they were giving away all kinds of prizes. And so I get there that day and and I go to the table and I see something kind of strange. My my friend is there. And, and his boss is there, and I know his boss because I've seen his boss on TV making the commercials. I'm thinking, okay, something's odd here, but they bring me my breakfast. Well, in a few minutes, my friend Jim uh, says to me, um, Keith, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, all right. He said, the good news is you're playing in the golf tournament and we're paying for it. The bad news is that, that my boss's plans changed and he's going to be here and so you're going to have to play in a, a foursome with people that you don't know. Well, that didn't bother me at all because I, I like people and I have no problem meeting new people. And, and, and he didn't know those people either. But we decided we would go out and see if we could find the person who I was going to be in the cart with. So we went out to the driving range and, and somebody pointed us in the direction of where this guy was. Now, you learn a lot about people on a driving range. Truth is, you learn a lot about people on a golf course. But but I don't know about any heaven, but this guy was moving a lot of earth on the golf course. I mean, there were just clods flying all over the place. And, and with all of this was language that, that, well, I was a police officer for nine years in Houston. I thought I had heard everything, but this guy had some new words. 
So my friend Jim, who's standing next to me, he says, wish I could be there. <laughs> well, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, the guys in the group, you, you guys know this. You know, what we do for a living is kind of just, you know, what we wear as a badge of honor. And, and I said to Jim, I said, it'll be about the fourth hole. Because uh, along about the fourth hole, most of the time on the golf course, is when one guy says to another guy, so what is it that you do for a living? So Jim said, you've got to tell me the story later because I know this is going to be a classic. Well, you know, we, we start out, and, and this guy was just unbelievable. His name was Bill, and Bill was an investment banker, and, and Bill was just so full of himself. You know, they say a problem with a self-made man is that he worships his creator, and, and this guy was worshiping himself. I mean, he was telling me all about himself and all of the houses that he owned and all the places that he had been in the world and all the money that he had made. And, and it was just, and, and the language was, you know, and, you know, the good news was he didn't ask me a thing about myself. <laughs> we made it past the fourth hole and the fifth hole and the sixth hole. And, and I really began to, to pray and said, Lord, please don't let him ask me what it is that I do because I, I really don't want to embarrass him. And I know that it's going to be embarrassing. Well, we make it all the way through the front nine, and, and we're on the back nine. We tee off on the 14th hole. We get back in the cart. We're headed down the, the, the fairway, and Bill says, So, Keith, what is it that you do when you're, you're not playing in charity golf tournaments? Well, I've been thinking about it and praying about it for 14 holes. <laughs> so I said, uh, Bill, I'm in the, uh, the investment business. He said, really? He said, I'm in the investment business. I said, yeah, I, uh, you, you told me that. He said, you, you look like real estate. You, you do real estate? And I said, no, I, I don't real estate. do real estate. Stocks and bonds? No. Commodities? No. Banking? No. He said, well, what, what kind of investments are you involved in? I said, well, I'm involved in eternal investments. He got this really weird look on his face. He said, I've... I've never heard of those. <laughs> and I didn't say this, and I didn't laugh at him, but, but I wanted to say, you know, I'm not really surprised about, <laughs> about that. You know, I wish I had a great story to tell you uh, about how I led Bill to the Lord that day, but, but I don't. I, I said to Bill, you know, Bill, the, the joy of my life is telling people about Jesus and telling people about eternal life and the fact that eternal life doesn't doesn't start when we die. It, it starts the moment that we say yes to Jesus. And, and I gave him about a, a minute and a half or two minute kind of message about the gospel. And uh, he didn't say anything. In fact, he didn't say anything for the last few holes of golf. And, and we shook hands and went our separate ways. And I've told Bill's story a time or two and prayed for Bill every time that I did. Here's what I know about Bill. The only way that anybody ever was going to reach Bill with the gospel is if they extended grace in his life and built a relationship until they got to the point that, that they could give him truth and, and he would be willing to listen to that. So grace and truth is what I want to talk to you about this morning. And, and let's start with grace. Grace is God giving himself to us. That's what happened, John 1, 14. You know, the gospel of John this first chapter is the Christmas story. Now, there's no manger, and there's no wise men, and, and there's no Bethlehem. It's just, in the beginning was the Word. And verse 14 says, and the Word became 
flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The, the proximity that, 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 that was revealed there. You know, that's what we do when we love people, right? We, we're close to them. And that's what Jesus did. He, he moved into our neighborhood. He extended grace to us. Now, that wasn't his first act of grace. You could argue that, that creation was and the establishment of relationships and, and giving us the freedom of choice and, and manna and quail and the list goes on and on. Salvation is a gift of grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. But salvation is not the only grace you've received, are receiving, or will receive. I love what Jerry Bridges says. He says, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of his grace. Your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Every day should be a day of relating to God on the basis of his grace alone. So grace is God giving himself to us. I believe that truth is God revealing himself to us. Same verse, 14th verse, the second part of it. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Now here's what our world wants to tell you and tell me, and that is that there is no real truth. You just make it up as you go. All roads lead to heaven. But there's a problem with that. That's that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, 28 times alone in John... Jesus is recorded as saying, I tell you the truth. Jesus came not only to to tell the truth, but to be the truth. And truth becomes the plumb line against which all human behavior must be measured. Truth can be believed or denied, accepted or distorted, obeyed or rejected, celebrated or hated. The interesting thing about truth is this. No matter what you do with truth, it doesn't change the truth. Your automobile may be able to go 100 miles per hour. I wouldn't invite you to test that, but let's just say that you decided that you were going to get out on Interstate 40 and drive 100 miles an hour. I've been on Interstate 40. There are people on Interstate 40 that drive 100 miles an hour. Let's say that you're driving 100 miles an hour and you get stopped by a friendly Oklahoma Highway Patrol officer. And he or she says to you, Do you know the speed limit? And you say, yes, I do. Did you know that you were speeding? Yes, I do. Why were you speeding? Well, you could have a variety of of reasons. You could say, I just just felt like it. And that's probably not going to go well with you if you do that. You could say, you know, my, my friends were in the back seat and they were making fun of me because I, I drive slow and so I was just proving to them that, that I can, can drive 100 miles an hour. Or you could say, you know, if, if the manufacturers of the car didn't want you to drive 100 miles an hour, they wouldn't have made the car be able to go 100 miles an hour. doesn't matter what you say. If the truth is that the speed limit is 70 or 75 or in Texas, where I'm from, 85 some places. If that's the truth, it doesn't matter whether you like it, accept it, believe it, it doesn't change 
that it's true. And the same, I believe, is true in our world today. Regardless of whether or not society wants to accept the words of Scripture as truth, it doesn't change the fact that it's truth. So what do we do with truth? Well, I think we recognize that it's timeless. Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody, all men come to me, only, only through me, to the Father. It's, it's the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth was designed to be taught, I believe. That's why there is a place next door called Southern Nazarene University. That's why there's a place called First Church of the Nazarene in Bethany, Oklahoma. Our job is to teach truth. Oldest Christian school in the country, Harvard University. If you go and and you you do any research on them, you'll find out that, that they were created with the express purpose of training ministers. Now, today, nobody would think about Harvard University as a Christian school. But if you go back to the original seal of Harvard, you'll find that there's three Latin phrases on there. Veritas, truth. Christos, Christ. Et ecclesia, the church. And the scripture verses, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus' words, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free. You can Google Harvard Seal today, and you know what you'll discover? There's nothing about Christ. There's nothing about the church. That wouldn't be politically correct. And certainly there's no scripture, no John 8, 31 and 32. But it still does have the word veritas, or truth, in Latin. The problem with that is that truth has to be based on something. So truth is timeless, and, and, and truth is to be taught, and that's what we're trying to do here at Bethany First and what we're trying to do at Southern Nazarene University. I think uh, the best teachers and the best professors that I've ever had have been people that understood that dynamic duo, the, the tension between grace and truth. So grace is God giving himself to us. Truth is God revealing himself to us. Jesus comes from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth were what Jesus was all about. So I believe with all my heart that grace and truth go hand in hand. They're the ultimate dynamic duo. One does not work without the other. I don't know what your experience in life has been, but but here's been my experience. Sometimes what I really needed from somebody was grace, and what I got from them was truth. And then there were other moments in life when what somebody really should have given me was a big dose of truth. And what I got was grace. If we can understand the way that grace and truth are to be lived out, I think it dramatically changes the way that we deal with our children, our spouses, our friends, the people we work with and work for. Now, I want to tell you that this isn't easy stuff because there is that dynamic tension between grace and truth tell you how it worked at my house one time. My wife is here today. Sometimes preachers tell stories about their families when their family aren't present, so they can kind of embellish the story, but this is not an embellished story. You can visit with her after the service, and she'll confirm that every word of this story is true. 
We, uh, we had an argument at our house a number of years ago. I, I'm sure that it never happens at your house, but, but we had an argument. And, and it must have been a pretty good argument. Today, neither one of us can remember what it was about, but we went to bed mad. Now, I know what Scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, we let the sun go down, way down, and we were angry. Now, here's the great thing about, about me. I, I have trouble remembering arguments. So by the time I woke up the next morning, I had completely forgotten about the argument. My wife might be a little, a little bit different than that. But, but in those days, she went to work really early in the morning, and, and she was up and gone before any of the rest of us were, were up. And my job was to get the kids up and hose them down, feed them, water them, you know, and get them off to school. So I had a very set routine, and she knew what the routine was. So I started making my way around the house that day, and I had all my chores that I had to do. And, and so, you know, I went to, to shave and brush my teeth, and, and there was a Post-it note that was on the mirror, and, and it had an S on it. And I thought, that's weird. I didn't put that there. And then I went to, to get the dog food because I had to feed the dog. That was another chore in the morning, and there was an L on a Post-it note. Well, as I make my way around, I, I, I soon discover that, that I have this message that's been left to me on Post-it notes. It, it spells the word slime, S-L-I-M-E. And it's like, oh, that's right, we had an argument last night. Man, I must have really messed up because she's calling me slime. So I, I go off to, to church that day, and I don't talk to her all day long, which was really, really ra- rare. But I didn't call her. She didn't call me. And so I come in from the church that afternoon, and she's fixing dinner. And, and I go in and change clothes and come back in the kitchen, and she says, you didn't call me today. And I said, well, you know, I figured you didn't want to talk to people that you think of as slime. She said, you're not very smart, are you? I said, what do you mean I'm not very smart? Well, she had re arranged the the letters on these post-it notes and left it on the counter and it said smile (laughs) there was even a little smiley face on the e which i had seen earlier but i just thought she was adding to the misery of slime So here's the deal. She was extending grace and I was receiving truth. All right, let me land the plane here and get us out of of here on time. Let me give you the the practical application to to this whole deal of of grace and truth. The the, the first thing that I want you to take away is remember this. Grace always precedes truth. Now, we could have an argument about this after church if you want to, but, but I'm going to ask you to argue with Scripture. Because as I went in and I began to look at the way that Jesus dealt with people, I discovered that that was his pattern, grace preceding truth. If you just take the Gospel of John, if you were to go to the fourth chapter, which we don't have time to do today, you, you could read the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Remember? The, the grace was that Jesus was even at the well. 
Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. The, the truth was that there comes a moment in the conversation where Jesus says to the woman, where is your husband? Skip over to the fifth chapter. The man at the well. The grace was, do you want to get well? But later in that same story, Jesus says to him, stop sinning. That's the truth. John chapter 8, the woman that was caught in adultery. The grace was, I don't condemn you. The truth was, go and sin no more. The washing of the feet. The relationship with Jesus in the 13th chapter, Jesus and Peter. Peter says, well, you know, if you're going to wash my, my feet, which is what Jesus wanted to do, then, then wash my whole body. The truth is that moment when Jesus says, if you're not going to let me wash your feet, then you'll have no part of me. So, so the best that I can tell, if you're in doubt, understand that grace precedes truth. But the second thing, and, and this is tough, but you've got to understand there's a time for grace and a time for truth. Now, for some of us, because of our personalities or the environment that we grew up in, grace comes much easier than truth. We're, we're just people that just are naturally full of grace. And it's really, really hard for us to, to have that moment of confrontation and to offer truth. The opposite is also true. For some of us, we just by nature, kind of want to go around smacking people on the head with a Bible. We just want to be a, a Bible-quoting machine, and, and we, just, we just dump bucket loads and dump truck loads of truth on people. But we're much more comfortable with truth than grace. So, so it's critical to understand that we need to be operating in balance in our lives if we're going to fulfill our call to imitate Christ and, and influence others. So... I said Jonah, you said whale, big fish, yeah. You know, everybody does that. But, but there's another character in that story of Jonah and the whale. In fact, it's a tiny character. It's found in the fourth chapter. Do you remember what it was? It was a worm. There, there's a whale about as big as you can get a, a, a big giant leviathan, a, a giant fish, and then you got one of the tiniest creatures that there is, a worm. So here's what I think happened in that story. Way back in the Old Testament, I think the whale was God extending grace in Jonah's life, rescuing him giving him an opportunity to think about where he was and what he was doing. And you know the story. Jonah gets to feeling sorry for himself, and he sits down under a tree, and, and God sends a worm along to eat up all of the, the shade. You know what I think that was? I, I think that was truth in Jonah's life. Extending grace standing for truth, but knowing when Jonah needed grace and when Jonah needed truth. And that's God's call on our life today. As we evaluate our relationships, as we think about the people that God puts us in relationship with, when do we give grace and when do we give truth? One of the challenges for the church is to know that. You see, we, we love sinners. 
at least we say we do, that's grace. We hate sin, or at least we say we do, and that's truth. But unfortunately, it's easy to confuse the two, and we end up hating sinners and loving sin. And grace demands that we work really, really hard to understand the truth of Scripture so that we won't fall short of it because of emotional or cultural pressure. But we also will not go beyond it and become more strict than God would be. I close with this story. It's, it's one of my favorites. I love Abraham Lincoln. I, I majored in history in college, and, and uh, I just love, I love reading about Lincoln. There's a story that's told about Abraham Lincoln that, that on Wednesday nights he would go to church, and in those days there was no secret service, but he would walk to church just a few blocks from the White House, and he had an arrangement with the pastor that he could slip in through a side door and he could sit in the pastor's study. That way it didn't create any kind of a, a stir in the congregation and, and he could hear the message and then slip out and make it back to the White House. If you know anything about Lincoln, Lincoln was, was all about developing the next generation. And so he would often take young aides with him. And, and on one particular Wednesday night, he and a young aide went and they slipped in the side door and they listened to the message. And as they were making their way back to the White House, the, the young aide was just in love with the message that the pastor had preached that night. And, and he ca- kind of went on and on about it. And, and President Lincoln didn't say anything. And finally, the young aide said, didn't you think that was a great sermon? And Abraham Lincoln said, I think it was a good sermon. Well, the young aide was kind of curious about why he thought it was a good sermon and not a great sermon. And so he said to the president, he said, well, well, what do you think would have made it a great sermon or what makes a great sermon or why wasn't it a great sermon, I think was the question that he asked. President Lincoln said it wasn't a great sermon because he didn't ask us to do anything. Never forgotten that story. So every time God gives me the opportunity to preach, even if it comes at 9 o'clock at night on a Saturday night before, I always want to give people an opportunity to do something. So so would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And I'm going to just invite you right where you are to allow the Holy Spirit to, to do a little personal inventory in your life about your relationships. And and ask the Lord to help you know whether or not there's somebody in your life that, that needs some grace and you've been giving them truth. Or maybe what they really need is some truth and you, you just haven't been courageous enough to, to do that. And so you just keep giving them grace. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.